my father really wanted a son, and I was also born under the one-child policy, so you know I was the son he never had. The thing is, I kind of let the environment to define me. You know, I would try to figure out, okay, what do these people like, and then I, I will like condition myself to be like that. At that time, the masculine energy that. Ego-driven、uh, force was very strong. I actually had the power to thrive, but I wasn't allowing myself to really make decisions based on my heart, but you know, based on based on my fear instead. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Permission to Become podcast. This is a podcast about Asian American women exploring their boundaries and permissions around self-discovery and personal empowerment. In this podcast, we will dive into the untold tales of Asian American women breaking out of who they should be and becoming who they truly are. My name is Joyce Bao, and I'm your host on this podcast. Hi, Cindy. I'm super happy to have you on the Permission to Become、uh, show today. So I got to know you a little bit last year through our collaboration for the She Aspire workshop on elevating feminine energy for interview success.、Um, so today I'm I'm just super excited to dive deeper into our conversation here and、um, learn a little bit more about your personal journey. Um, of how you became、um, a feminine energy coach and, and how you got to where you are now. So let's start with your childhood.、Um, so from our past conversations,、uh, you shared that you spent the first fifteen years of your life in growing up in Beijing. So I'm really curious, how did that period of time shape who you are today and contributed to、uh, your process of becoming? So.、Um... First fifteen years growing up in Beijing. So,、uh, my family is actually third generation Beijing locals. So, you know they've been there for a while, and really our family history is kind of also like a history book、um, in its snapshot of、um, you know the country from a very、um, central point point of view,、um, both like culturally, politically, and economically. So. You know, a lot has uh, happened uh, over the three generations, and and my grandparents actually uh, lived uh, for decades right next to Tiananmen Square,、um, so they really kind of got the front seat、uh, row for a lot of things that、uh, really happened took place. And、um, so, kind of growing up, I was, I would say like there's two type of influence, right? There was the very traditional influence that's coming from my grandparents who raised me for for the 15 years. Uh, whereas you know my parents,、uh, like like many young younger、um, people at that time, were really kind of、um, going after、uh, money, right? They're the, the going after e- economic growth. That's the the route.、Um, the China went、um, in, in my in my parents' generation, and my grandparents' generation. You know they were kind of really rather unfortunate because they had a tough life. Uh, you know, being born right after World War II, and there was just nothing. Right, the whole country was just destroyed after after that. And then, you know, even after、um, this international war was over, there was the civil war. And then after that, Communist Party won. But after that, you know, there was the Cultural Revolution. So really, it was just a generation of turmoil、um, for my grandparents. But、um, despite all that, my grandparents were actually the most resilient per- people I know. 
um, you know, in a way that they've had such a tough life, starved for most of their life, and just never had much security or even safety. But, but their um, how they raised me was really just full of love. There was, and it was kind of this love of like and the unconditional nature, right? And they just there's people with such big heart. They always have so much to give, you know, even if they didn't really have that much, uh, really, and. And because of that, they're really highly respected, both in the family and also just in the community,、um, which is, you know, really interesting how their value compared、uh, to my parents and, you know, to the, to the other people in my life that were just more driven by, you know, like more kind of materialistic、um, things. Well, the whole country was going in that direction, but I was lucky to kind of got a taste of both、uh, from a very young age. Yeah, well, that's super interesting because your grandparents had this very—they came from nothing, but they have a lot of these great values. What you mentioned earlier, like love and just compassionate loving,、um, which are quite contrary to your parents,、um, who valued more this economic growth. So I'm really curious, like how how did you integrate those two different sets of values、um, growing up, and what were the? I'm actually really curious, like what were the ones that Became more prominent in your own life growing up there. Yeah, well, as a child, I was just kind of absorbing what comes what what comes my way, and、um, you know, because I spent most of my time、um, with my grandparents while my while my parents were all kind of doing their business and <laughs> doing their things.、Um, yeah, like I was actually really drawn to a lot of our classical Chinese.、Um, Ideas and philosophies, and I had a special connection with Taoism. You know, as a kid, I would I would say those things that honestly I probably didn't know what they really really meant. You know, <laughs> but I would say these these words were philosophical and abstract things,、um, and and that kind of just always amused everyone. The, the adults is like, what is she talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, these these big words coming from like a very small person. <laughs> Yeah, that's super interesting. So I'm actually not too familiar with Taoism, and、um, so just maybe for for my own sake, and maybe for those listen listeners who are、um, tuning in who might not be familiar, could you just、um, briefly share with the audience like a very brief definition of what what like what is the essence of Taoism? Yeah, so it's really kind of this is this kind of way of this way of life、uh, of the highest water, and it's. Usually, pretty counterintuitive,、um, and it talks a lot about. So the Tao is really, you know, how、uh, Lao Tzu describe it. You know, the, the Tao is nothing. You can't really describe it. But just for the sake of, sake of describing, you know, he 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 goes into a, a kind of describing it with a lot of metaphors. So that's literally the first、um, the first、uh, verse of、um, uh, the 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 Tao Te Ching and. Is it describes this way of life that's very natural. You know, if we think about. You know how just marvelous and wondrous nature is, right? It it doesn't human. You know, it doesn't need any human interference, any our human intelligence or the things we thought were smart, and、um, you know, it doesn't need any of that to flourish. So that in itself is where、um, you know this kind of way of life really stemmed from. It just like be really like nature.、Um, And then it also has this big idea of really harmonizing the polarities, right?、Um, you know, there, there's a light, there's darkness, and you know, there is 
um, there's water, there's fire, right? All these elements are really meant to um, be considered in a holistic way, you know, as opposed to, you know, like really skewed certain ways, like, for example, skewing towards materialism and then uh, ignoring kind of this, the, the spirituality, which is the other side of the polarity. So it has, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and a lot of these anecdotes, I think, as a, as, as a child was what really interesting for me because, you know, there's a story of um, Lao Tzu, you know, laughing in front of um, his, uh, his, his, his late wife's tomb. And just out of pure joy that, you know, oh, she's so over all the suffering on this earth and, you know, she is, you know, she is in a better place, right? It just kind of, it's, it's odd. It's very odd. But, you know, kind of was drawn, very drawn to all these stories uh, when I was younger. Yeah, that's super interesting. Actually, it reminded me of like that symbol of Taoism, right? Which is like the circle with the black and the white and the dot in the middle and the yin and the yang. So um, I'm curious, like, when you were growing up, how did Taoism like play a role in your childhood? Like what were some experiences you personally had um, that resembled this Taoist way of life? Yeah, it's interesting you ask this question because, you know, when I was just little, right, I, I had little capacity to really kind of make sense of what's happening around me and then really connect connect that with um, some of these more... Um, philosophical ideas, even though I was really drawn to it. But recent years, I really started, um, you know, doing a lot of reflection, introspection on these events, and actually realized how much polarities there are in my life. And they're all pretty extreme. And I think in a way, you know, as a kid, right, I, you know, has always been super drawn to these abstract things. But then, you know, I... When it, when it comes time for me to, um, you know, choose what to spend my time and energy on, you know, like I kind of just never considered, you know, these abstract ideas um, as, as a pursuit, right? I was also from a very early age, I knew that, you know, I, I knew that I need to pay more attention to things that are tangible, <laughs> just have a very practical mind of mine as well. Um, and, you know, this kind of continued, um, even in college that I chose to study engineering again, not really to this day, it was hard for me to understand why I, I chose that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there's a certain kind of safety with that, um, choice as a career and, you know, for a 19 year old, uh, who was born middle-class, you know, I think that's a big belief that I was, um, I got conditioned from a very young age to choose something that's safe as opposed to um, choosing something like, like artistic, right? Um, but the funny thing is I actually pursued a minor in philosophy in college and this is not something many people knew about. And I didn't, I also didn't really want to share um, uh, with, with, with kind of my peers in, in college because, you know, it just, I was just so odd. I, I was really odd. I felt odd. Um, was on my like these engineering years. Yeah, and honestly, there was like, so the thing is everyone found out at graduation <laughs> that, you know, under this column, it's like minoring arts, right? There was only one name and that was my name. <laughs> and everyone's like, what the hell, what the hell, right? Um, and 
and by the way, you, you can cuss and 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 be um be feminine and and, and spiritual and all that stuff. <laughs> so um yeah, that's uh that that's priority on that. And then while I was pursuing this engineering degree that I thought you know was gonna give me so much security, I actually also went in went in the completely opposite side to uh, become a yoga instructor. And uh, yeah, I actually taught um, for quite a few years and. Um, and you know those two polarities actually ended up being um, combined as as the original aspiration for me to start um, my own wearable startup. Um, uh, you know, I, and I made a product which uh, which is a wearable bra that's um, was a mission of taking yoga off the mat by detecting um, signs from from our heart and uh, using that to cue um, breathing patterns as a way to uh, yeah manage stress. And I'm really curious, what was your relationship like with your parents and how did they influence your, your uh, worldview or life you growing up? Um, so one of the really, I would say, a, um, almost like a defining event of, of my upbringing is that, you know, like I, you know, my, my father really wanted a son and I was also born under the one child policy. So, you know, I was really kind of his one chance, his only chance to kind of fulfill this vision of having a son, you know, again, like in Chinese culture, and I think in, in many Asian cultures and even um, Western cultures, you know, like, you know, that the, the males are considered the, the, the bloodline of the family, right? So, um, so he, you know, he, that, that was very kind of rooted in um, my father's belief. And, you know, and obviously I just, I was the son he never had. I'm curious, how did you feel when you found that out, you know, as a child? Um, there was definitely shock, you know, I, and I think especially, um, you know, was uh, w- w- when my parents' marriage deteriorated, you know, like when they, you know, when they were fighting and stuff, you know, I definitely heard things along the line, like, you know, she's just a girl, she's not even pretty, you know, again, you know, that, that shows a lot about kind of the value they had on, on, on the genders and on the, on the fem, femininity and masculinity. So, and I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was harsh. And, you know, as, as a child, I was so young, right? It was like I'm six, six or seven when, you know, I had heard something like this and, you know, I just didn't know what to make of it. And as most children, right, when they, you know, hear things like that, um, you know, be, because their capacity to make sense of it was, so limited, right? What they end up doing is they just internalize it, and they would, you know, just this is just what child do, right? That that's why, um, you know, love and compassion help the child to develop, and the opposite of that kind of, you know, and and they really kind of just blame themselves for it. They would internalize it, and then so for me, what ended up happening is I internalized this kind of existential development. Uh, disappointment um, just just in who I just who I, who I am right you know and this is not something I had control of and then but then you know I obviously didn't really understand that's what's happening but then you know kind of this moment and you know the also um, previously as well before this um, you know something explicit was said you know the disappointment was definitely there and so yeah, like that kind of really uh, led me to overcompensate to prove myself, right? Because, you know, that um, 
existentially that sense of self-worth was taken away from you know by people who were who supposed to empower me but it, I was I felt disempowered so you know I overcompensated to really prove myself uh, as a child you know I became I, I be, you know I was I had a lot of energy right uh, to begin with and then um, I channeled all that to like to prove myself externally like or you know also a little bit of I want to prove someone wrong right so there's like that attachment to um, what happened, uh, you know, like the, the, the sense of disappointment. Essentially from what I, what I heard is like starting from the age of six, it's like you, you heard through your parents that like you're not enough or you're not good enough. And then that became a central belief that you held on to. And I can relate to because I was the only child. Um, I'm curious, like in your process of becoming, how long did you hold on to that belief? So, you know, because my femininity was kind of really disempowered, right, by, by you know, by, by um, this uh, intrinsic disappointment. So I really, I think just uncomfortable I wasn't really conscious of that happening at that time, but I really went to like a very masculine expression, right, of myself that, you know, I was constantly seeking validation. I have to try the hardest. I have to do do more than everyone else. I have to work harder um, to prove my worth. You know, like only else, like I, that continued for, like, I would say way into my adulthood. Like even... Um, you know, after I um, moved moved from uh, from Beijing to Vancouver, Canada, and then afterwards uh, immigrated to um, the U.S., as well as through my experience as entrepreneur, you know, that really carried me quite long. And and in many ways, you know, it it got me to where I was. Right, uh, you know, starting my own company, I uh, was this entrepreneur who was just hustle and grind, all about that. Um, but you know, like the the, the the masculine energy was so unchecked. It was so um, ego driven, because it was all about this this proving my, the self worth that I couldn't give to myself. Um, it ended up just really also um, just became a pitfall um, to be like so so much in the masculine energy that I just eventually um, run myself to the ground. So. Like in my experience, it definitely took me to be um, kind of really exhausting the, the last ounce of, of the masculine energy to for me to like understood to even like consider, okay, there, there, there is something for me to to look into. And, you know, and what I found, you know, I want to, so I, so I have to really surrender, right? Surrender all my control, I have to fix, having, having to, um, kind of just always be in, in the driver's seat and ha- having to prove. I, once I surrender that, um, you know, I was really able to look dip, look deeper and then just, and the feminine energy just arised because, you know, that was always in me, even though I has been suppressed for so many years. And um, so through my kind of own healing journey, there's forgiveness, there is, um, you know, a lot of these, um, to reclaim my worth and reclaim my power. And through all that, I really fully kind of stepped into uh, believing that, you know, my, my parents were really exactly the parents uh, I needed to have this life to fulfill uh, this mission to become a voice for the feminine. 
And my wound, um, you know, as a young girl uh, growing up and all these years of um, really, really running on a very, very masculine programming was this very clear cut experience that really showed me, you know, like where the bigger picture is. Um, you know, I say that because if I was someone else, just had normal parents and, you know, didn't have any kind of um, triggering events like the one I had, you know, they might just live like a normalized life thinking, okay, you know, um, the feminine values are um, underappreciated, but it's just normal, right? There wasn't anything to really kind of make that really apparent. But, you know, in my journey, I, I have to really overcome that. And then I have to really reclaim my, um, um, myself from, from and really empower my feminine to be where I am today. So, yeah, and then it just, I just became aware of this big, bigger, mission of my, bigger mission of mine to, um, to become a voice for the feminine and share this transformative superpower with other women. Yeah, I love that. And I definitely want to kind of um, dive into more of like how you really found this to be your your mission. Um, and, and I remember in a previous conversation, you mentioned that your process of becoming is really like a, it's like a decade of becoming. And as you, you were just describing your experience, it's like it really took you that amount of time to first like fully express the masculine side of you. And then you went to the extreme, um, you had to go to the extreme in order to swing, swing your pendulum back and start to uncover and peel away the layers to, to uncover the truth of who you are, which is that embodied like feminine aspect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, uh, my decade of becoming. So um, th the thing is like, there's, there has always been a dance, um, like I would say inside me, like the feminine side wants to come out. Right. So, um, you know, in my late teens, you know, like, um, in like later in high school, I actually got really into yoga. Um, and, you know, now looking back, what that was, it was, was just was really the feminine energy like kind of calling me in you know that I just for some reasons got really attracted to you know the yoga studios and just it had it just carried such a different type of energy than all the other rooms I was in all the uh, other settings I was in and without really being able to explain um what was going on I was just really attracted to that environment because of course you know that's really the only environment I feel like I could be really present and I was paying attention to my body, right? I wasn't just always in my head looking for another opportunity to prove myself. <laughs> um, so, so that really kind of becomes, you know, a, a point of anchor for, uh, for me and for, you know, also for many years and, you know, and, and as someone who uh, loved to express and kind of, kind of love to, love to share, um, I actually started teaching yoga before I even finish my yoga teacher training, I was just so eager to share um, kind of this this gift that I found that really kind of helped me to you know feel more balanced. I love the word you used earlier, which is this like dance of the feminine sort of, and it's like you're you have on one hand this like overexpression of your masculine, and then the feminine is like very gentle, very soft, like, but you you kind of have this like 
I don't know, I almost feel this like playful um, energy of it just wanting to come out and like share itself in like a very nurturing, gentle way. And also just hearing you sounded like yoga was like home for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was very, it was very just different feeling, right? It was, it was that feeling of safety that I can be present with myself without, you know, um, being triggered. I, I can just hold myself, right? That's, that really, um, was an experience that was, you know, deeply nurturing and, and compassionate, which is, you know, all these feminine qualities, um, that, you know, like at that time, I, I definitely needed that, um, without understanding why, but just being, again, just being really drawn to it naturally. And what we were saying, the whole dance, um, between the masculine and feminine, if you look at the, 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 the Taoism symbol, like the yin yin, there is, you know, the dots, in, in both yin and yin, you know, that's, that's really what it is. Even in like very extreme ma- masculinity, there, there is some feminine, right? And, and that's really what the balance is about is to be, to be able to integrate those two energy energetically. Um, yeah, but, you know, but at that time, uh, when I was, you know, back to my, um, my, my late teens, early 20s, I, was, I wasn't integrating, right? Even though like I was practicing yoga, I was spending many hours in, in the yoga studio, and, you know, but I was like a different person inside and outside the studio. And I would even have friends coming to my class. And then I'm like this person who's like radiating, expanding my, uh, my, my energy from the feminine. And then they're like, oh my gosh, you're like a different person. <laughs> uh, comparing to like, uh, you know, like after the class, I would just rush out and um, continue on my husband grind, you know. Well, Another part that uh, I thought was interesting in your experience was um, you moved to America at age 15. So first to Canada and then later to the United States. So I'm, I'm curious, how was that transition like for you um, moving from China to, um, to North America at age 15 and having to assimilate um, in high school and then later college? Um, so, you know, when I... I mean, continue on my pattern of having to prove myself and all that. So when I first came to Canada, you know, I had this, again, this very strong drive to be liked, right? To, to kind of, you know, in what we can say to be, ple- to, to please others so that I can be liked. I was very afraid of kind of rejection, you know, both culturally or, you know, personally, you know, kind of, I kind of so always had this fear of rejection. So and when I first landed, obviously I was this kid who didn't speak perfect English. You know, I um, I just didn't really understood, you know, the slangs and stuff like that. I just felt like, you know, really felt like an outsider. So, and then what I ended up doing was, you know, pretty courageous, I think. It was just to really throw myself in the deep. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I chose a school. So I requested to go to a school with, with the least amount of uh, Chinese population. So, and I actually made, uh, made my, my mom um, move <laughs> and just so that we, we could do that. Um, and then I also refused to speak Chinese outside of, uh, outside of home um, to just kind of really throw myself in the deep. And, you know, also I, I think there was a little bit sense of shame um, you know, uh, with my identity, with my ethnicity as well. Um, yeah, I think 
kind of you know all you know it was like very a very at least very not very evolved version of 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 me uh in the past you know decided to kind of just dishonor my past let's just try to try try to um uh fit into this new new, new environment to the to the best of i could right and then yeah so i pretty much just kind of cut off um like some of my roots in a way um yeah, how how did you do that? Because I I was actually very curious, wanted to ask you about it. Because um, I I think this is the I I learned this in college, like one point five generation, which was um, what I was part of as well. So I'm just really curious, like when you moved here, like how did you how did you decide on like what your identity was and how did you show up every day? Um, <laughs> so. Um, I- the first week I was in high school uh, when I moved, uh, the principal, you know, was trying to call me to his office to to do something. Right, uh, forgot what it was, but he like, he struggled to say my name so much that he actually had to uh, just just come to the room to to, to find me. And um, yeah, it was just you know my 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 legal name is actually really hard to pronounce in English. You start with a Q. You know, that's kind of throws, and it doesn't have a U afterwards. So for English, it just throws everybody off, you know. <laughs> so I actually had to like give myself an English name. The thing is, I kind of let the environment to define me. You know, I would I would try to figure out, okay, what do these people like? These new these you know these um in in this new country, what do they like? And then I. I will kind of like, um, like condition myself to be like that or train myself. What is an example? I think one thing is that, you know, they, everyone just really admired my math capability, right? It was like, you know, I was, I mean, the, the, the schooling in high school was definitely more advanced in China. And, you know, I, I would easily kind of just get like a, you know, I, I would just kind of laugh at what they were doing uh, at school. <laughs> so, you know, and, and that's something I, you know, I kind of stepped into that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, kind of became a math, math god in high school. <laughs> but, you know, it's not that like, this is really me, right? Because I you know, obviously have other interests, but, you know, but I, I saw, you know, how much reward this got me. And then I, you know, just put more of my energy in, in that and, you know, would, go do like mass championships and things like that because you know that it just it, it got me a reward right it's kind of it's very much like I would say how you know like a lot of people kind of uh, you know approach approach their life they would figure out what would get them the most reward especially you know younger adults and and, and children and then they, they would overcompensate and do that um and yeah and you know if you not with kind of teachers and adults who are super conscious of what's actually happening. Um, you know, it, it definitely would take some time to um, to realize that later on in adulthood. And and yeah, and nowadays I don't use any math, right? <laughs> Just like <laughs> anything I do, but. That's super interesting. It's like that math became your favorite subject because it was something that you received external validation for rather than something that you actually like truly enjoy or are passionate about yeah and i mean again right then at that time the masculine energy that that ego ego driven uh force was very strong so 
and I wasn't really evolved enough to really trust my intuition. I didn't even know what intuition was at that time. You know, I just, I ignored all of that, um, right? It was kind of just this crazy person um, just chasing the shiny things, right? And say, okay, what's next? What can, what can get me more likes? What can get me more uh, validation? Yeah, yeah. And you're not crazy. We we all have gone through that. We all are chasing after objects at some point <laughs> in our lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and realizing that honestly is such a it's, it's such a gateway towards, you know, reclaiming your reclaiming power and, you know, becoming mm-hmm. who you actually um came here to be, right? Yeah. And I think we we all have to go through that process um yeah. in our in our own journeys. Yeah. Well, I'm also really curious, like, so you, you chose a pretty much like all American high school and um, you didn't really speak much in, uh, Chinese outside of your, your home. So I'm curious, like what happened to those val- Chinese values that you um, treasured so much growing up? So I, you know, I kind of still had a deep connection to like abstract things. And like, I remember in, even in like, um, in physics, you know, I was just really, just really curious in like those extracurricular stuff, like relatively, you know, like some really abstract things or like, you know, you the, the quantum stuff. It was like, I was so, so fascinated. It was like, oh, smaller particles, energy, you know, <laughs> but then like, I, I clearly remember how interested I was in, in those, um, kind of always these things that's bigger than myself, I think, um, but then when it comes to like actually making making decisions, like, you know, life decisions, I always chose uh, the safest option. You know, I, I think with a middle class upbringing that, you know, you know, since a very young age, we're taught, we're, we're, I was t- told, right, if you don't work hard, if you don't go to university, if you don't kind of choose the right major, that's going to get you a secure job, you're going to end up on the street, right? That was like, I think a lot of, Asians can relate to that. <laughs> sure, you know, that might have been true for, you know, to a certain extent, right, if you're really coming from poverty. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a poverty, poverty mindset as well. Uh, and the thing is, those kind of beliefs, um, it doesn't, it, it helps, pe- it helps you to survive, but it doesn't help you to thrive, right? So I was basically carrying a very kind of low vibrational um, you know, mindset and belief, and in a situation where I actually had the power to thrive, but I wasn't allowing myself to really make decisions based on, um, you know, based on my heart, but, you know, based on, based on my fear instead. I think it's really interesting. You said you didn't allow yourself to follow your heart, but you allowed yourself to follow your fears. Yes. We're hardwired. We're hardwired to follow fears. To hold on to it, yeah. So, when did you actually allow yourself to follow your heart? I, I mean, I would say like ever since I stepped uh, first step foot into that yoga studio, my feminine energy has been like on the rise. Um, but it was kind of more confined to this little part of my life on my yoga mat or in the yoga studio, you know. Like, but when I, you know, in my everyday dealing in, in how I do things, right? It was also it was still very masculine. Um, it's, it was still about hazard and grind. And then, you know, I, and, and then I would retreat to, to my yoga mat to like find some, um, um, you know, in, you know, to, to find some comfort, uh, in the present moment. Um, 
but kind of the moment I decided that I want to combine, you know, my, you know, kind of my love, I mean, my love for yoga and my background in engineering, you know, at that time I was still kind of very attached to that, you know, I still kind of want to do something with, with that engineering degree. Um, also like women in STEM is, again, that's another thing that gets, that really kind of gets attention, right? That's, um, and again, my ego kind of went there and said, okay, women in STEM, it's, um, it's, it's what, the, what the press loves to hear about. So, um, so yeah, that, um, um, but I would say since the beginning of that company, I really, the thing is I had no kind of plan for how far, you know, my startup went, um, you know, like, you know, it went so far, I think, beyond my wildest imagination uh, when I first started it. And I would fully accredit that, like, to, like, me actually stepping on a path that's somewhat aligned with my soul calling, which is, you know, have, having this essence of empowering women. Uh, and, you know, through this, I was making this very feminine product, or the bra, obviously, that's um, for women. And, you know, and, and through what I'm doing, I was talking a lot about mental health, talking about the physiologies, you know, the mind-body connections, you know, all that stuff. You know, like I still talk about that today in my coaching, um, right? Because, you know, that's really kind of this holistic way to approach, um, to work on life and to stigmatize mental health. Um, and, and, and all that was very aligned uh, with my mission, with my purpose. Right. And, and, and that's what got me noticed. And that's what where I really unleashed all these energy that took me just kind of accelerated my company. We're actually going to pause there. I'm curious, like at that point, when you started your company, did you know already what your mission and purpose were? So I would say I got lucky because at that time, I was still very much chasing the shiny things. Right, I was... And I saw, you know, starting a startup was really a quickest way for me to get recognition. And that's exactly what happened. You know, like my story got picked up by so many media. Um, and, you know, like I, I wouldn't say I was very intentionally self-promoting, but like, but again, like that was there. Right? And that's something from a very young age I, I wanted um, to prove myself. So, um yeah, um, but but then I would say I got lucky because that mission and that purpose kind of it didn't really come from a from the purest place from my heart, right? But it's um, but it but it is a true story. It is something you know the product I was making is for you to take yoga off the mat. That that was exactly what I needed at that time to to be able to start uh, integrating you know my practice. Um, and with my, with my life, you know, this everyday life, that's really the true test of your practice, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, again, like I was less evolved at that time and I couldn't really discern some of these things, you know, what is, um, what is coming from the ego, what is coming from the intuition what's coming from the spirit, like, you know, I had no idea, but it was just kind of like all meshed uh, in front of me and kind of, and I was still get, getting pulled in, very, in many different directions. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't very grounded. What it sounded to me like, it's like on paper, this sounded like your, 
it sounded like your company and your startup was completely aligned with your purpose and your mission. You and you feel it in your heart, but in looking back, in fact, it's a stepping stone, um, and not your true like you're not fully truly living, um, uh, practicing your your purpose and your mission. So, when did you decide, or how did you realize that you needed to move on to find your real the real expression of your purpose? So I run my company for three years, and um, you know, over that three years, I was again this mad woman who was like traveling all the time, um, and just kind of have handing everything. You know, this kind of entrepreneur who like works, um, ten, you know, twelve, ten, twelve plus hours a day. You know, seven days a week. You know, I was really just swimming the pendulums all the time. I was having burnout after burnout. Um, but you know, but for most of it, I'll just discount it. You know, that's just how you, that's how you be successful. Right. That's <laughs> it. And yeah, it's just, that's, there's pop, this popular startup culture. Uh, I would say tech culture as well, or even this work culture of thinking that working hard really has and grind, grind is, is this holy grail. You, you just have to, uh, have to take in order to be successful. So, you know, I did everything. All of that. And then in the third year um, was kind of this turning point when I just couldn't, I couldn't do any more to get any further, right? I was just really hitting this kind of invisible wall in like, I'll, I would say all aspects of my life, you know, but both in the personal life and um, um, in, in, in this entrepreneurship life. And yeah, I was just really kind of really stuck for a while. And then I'll, I'll keep pushing, right? Because that's kind of my mode of operation. Um, and yeah, and, you know, um, looking back, you know, my body has been giving me all these signs, all these cues of to stop, really, for, for the whole time. And I were really kind of down on me that something is wrong is, was that like during that year, I... Severely injured my neck from yoga, um, you know, just like, just just from like um, the the routine I, I do every single day, right? In in, in my Ashtanga practice, you know, at the, at the end of the series there is like this, like three minute headstand, and it was just that one day that I had this shooting pain in my neck, and um, you know, I pretty much bursted a dick um, from that, and I just you know couldn't move my neck. Uh, for a long time, couldn't turn, couldn't drive. And, and that kind of became like a chronic pain for me, like I would say throughout um, the, the year after. And, you know, some days it was so debilitating that I couldn't even get out of bed. So, and that was just like such a summary moment for me because for so many years, you know, I went to my yoga practice as, you know, as a haven, um, you know, for comfort. And then, but I ended up pushing myself so hard, even in my yoga, that I hurt myself, um, you know? And yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I, I would say very masculine how I was, how I was practicing yoga because I, you know, always wanted to do the pose. You know, I always go in with expectations, you know, I, I, you know, I could do this pose yesterday, so I should be able to do it today as well. Um, so again, right, just in the head, but not actually having a conversation with the body and, um, noticing what the body actually needed. So yeah, so I actually pushed myself to injury from yoga and I couldn't do any yoga anymore. Um, you know, I just 
just kind of in this space that there was a lot of pain um, because I didn't listen to the gentler cues <laughs> that uh, earlier. Yeah, and the, yeah, it gets louder. And, you know, I was just in the space where, you know, just like really couldn't, couldn't do any pushing and doing anymore. And, and all I could do was really at that point just to surrender. Um, kind of not, but not out of choice, right? That was my, that was my last resort. So that's kind of when I started just, just to try everything. You know, again, there was like still a little bit masculine energy, even, even when I was healing myself, you know, I tried everything, um, you know, from like different kind of uh, physiotherapies, um, like chiropractic, you know, I've done everything. That's super interesting. It's like your body ended up bringing you back to the feminine and it's almost sounded like your body is teaching you through becoming more in touch through this like uh, injury and feeling the pain in your body and, and having to rehabilitate and recover, like you're getting back in touch with the body. And that's when you, you maybe had some profound insight as to what you should be doing next. Absolutely. Yeah. And the ironic thing is I, you know, as, as a kid, I used to recite the, those um, classical Chinese that talks about, you know, the holisticness of, <laughs> of life, right? Talking about the mind and body and talking about balance. But yet I really drove myself to the very extreme, right? I was just all in my head, driven by my ego um, and just completely out of balance. Um, and yeah, that's... Um, that's when I realized that, you know, that there has to be another way to, to be successful. And, and, you know, in retrospect, even if, you know, I was able to push myself through and, you know, have, have like huge breaks and, you know, um, get to like maybe the next stage I thought I needed to be in, I wouldn't have been fulfilled um, knowing where I am today. Right. Um, how I'm feeling now. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, there was many years that I just um, chased to look good on the, on the outside and just completely ignored how I actually felt on the inside. I'm curious then from the time point when you had the injury, um, how did you then come to realize that your true purpose um, or your dharma is to actually become a feminine energy coach and work with women? So through my own healing journey, you know, I revisited, um, you know, a lot of these events, you know, understood, um, really kind of start healing my own wounds. And then, you know, just really a lot of healing, a lot of self-worth. Um, and, you know, the, the thing is, I started to realize that, um, you know, our body and, you know, our heart being is so capable of healing. And, and it's, it just has so much power, um, you know, whereas our mind, you know, that's always when it's kind of in this master mode, just wants to control and intervene. And really kind of what it does, is it kind of blocks this, this natural flow of, um, you know, of this healing process. So, you know, when I actually just took my, um, took my foot off the gas pedal uh, uh, of the masculine energy, you know, a lot of this healing actually naturally unraveled. And especially that I, I think another thing that I really appreciate is that I actually never lost face on, on the feminine energy. You know, I just never allowed myself to really fully uh, step into it. Um, 
you know, and I, and I have had practiced yoga for so many years and, you know, I do have all these tools, you know, I under, you know, understood on a kind of more like a more abstract level, how these things all worked. But for me, it was really looking at how can I brain, how can I integrate, right? And then, um, and how can I really keep my mind in check so that it doesn't, you know, just come in and sabotage kind of this natural flow of, um, of goodness. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I further, um, further my training um, in a two-year mindfulness teacher training. And that was, that was really kind of really, um, I, I was in mind eradicating for me, which was exactly what I needed. Um, and then when I was kind of choosing my, uh, my, my mentorship group for uh, when I was um, doing, doing that training, I, uh, so I actually chose the only group that, that speaks Mandarin Chinese. So, yes. So I was very conscious about that. You know, it was part of me that, you know, like once I started kind of allow myself to heal and allow myself to be, to be whole again, you know, a lot of these things just, just came to me, you know, and, and then through my co-working space, I, you know, um, met a coach, executive coach that also really helped me tremendously. And it really got me to see the power of coaching. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, um, so I was really getting a lot of value out of it, but still like at that time, I didn't really think I, I want to be a coach. I was still tinkering with a lot of ideas, maybe starting a company, um, you know, I started a career as a product manager, um, in tech, but you know, kind of, there's still for me to like, to really understand and discern, you know, what's, you know, what's ego, like what is intuition and what is, you know, inspiration coming from the spirit and what's, what's emotions and what's, you know, what messages behind emotions. So yeah, it took, it took me, um, I would say two years of of that, just kind of doing a lot of journaling, really discerning, really just keeping my mind out of the equation, but kind of, but still like utilizing it only when it's invited and really, really learn how to work with my mind. Um, You know, you know, for, for that to really, for me to really understand um, what's actually, you know, the, the message that has been trying to come through all this year along. Yeah, I just love what you said earlier, which is you said that you you actually allowed yourself to heal. Um, and I think that's so incredible. Um, and then once that you allow that process to happen, it's like your body knows what to do next. And it started to help you, um, reveal to yourself like essentially the truth of who you are if you just listen versus before your mind was like totally in a different space and 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 now with your practices instead you're integrating it together and and finding your center yeah i think so i want to add to that that so you know a lot of times even even in like the coaching or self-help or you know personal development space you know, we give so much power to other people, you know, we kind of, we depend, it's almost like, oh, what's your, give me some advice. Um, you know, what did you do it? How did you do it? I'm, I'm going to just copy what you, what you did. But the thing is, you know, everyone's journey is, is different. And, you know, there's so much wisdom in the past, so much wisdom in the wounds um, that, you know, that's really the best guide for each of us. Um, and, you know, like, it's really kind of about empowering self first. That 
you know, just that, you know, everyone's journey um, is there's no better or worse than anyone else's is really the purpose of that is really for us to kind of, you know, learn the lesson, stay the course, and then, you know, and it's, 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 it's unfolding of empowerment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I love, absolutely love what you just shared is finding the power within and not give it away, but really re- recognize that this power lies within us. And it's about our journey, our process of becoming is actually about uncovering that, that power and allow it to express itself. So as we're wrapping up, and um, I think this is, this is such an incredible episode. I think we hear so many of your stories and really also trace back to your roots, your upbringing, and all of the pieces that came together for you to, um, that got you to where you are now. So I'm curious as a part, uh, kind of a last question for those in the audience who are curious to um, explore more of their own femininity, um, what advice um, or what is something that you would recommend to them as something they can get started? Yeah, um, an extremely simple and powerful practice is, you know, to, is to take five, say five to 10 minutes in the morning um, and just, just, do, just do nothing, right? So like get your foot out of the gas pedal, uh, gas pedal and do nothing, just be with yourself for five to 10 minutes without any expectations of how this five minutes should, should go. And yeah, just meet yourself where you are. It sounds simple, but I think it's super hard. So I think this would actually be a nice, I don't know, like a seven day challenge. Just, just if so, for some people who want to try it out to just set a timer for five minutes and just like do nothing and see what arises, right? For sure, yeah, yes. Well, um, thank you so much for sharing so much of your your, um, I would say vulnerabilities and wisdom um, on this episode. I really, really appreciate hearing, hearing this whole journey. And I also really hope that through your personal story, you can, that the others can feel inspired um, to start their, their own um, journey as well to uncover the truth of who they are. So how can people, um, get in touch with you, learn more about you. I think you also have a program coming up. Um, so do you want to share a little bit about that with the audience? Yeah. So, well, I have to thank you, Joyce, for hosting me today. It absolutely gives me so much joy to share, you know, my experience and, you know, these kind of more seemingly vulnerable um, vulnerable stories in a very, you know, empowering and positive attitude. So yeah, it's absolutely part of my mission to do so, you know, to use my own experience to, uh, to inspire and empower. And if you resonate with me, um, so I, I do have a group coaching program called Soul Purpose Accelerator. So as the name entails, this program is for courageous, and ambitious and high achieving women like I used to be and, and still am to really step on the path uh, of becoming uh, who you are and, uh, you know, getting clarity around your soul purpose and from a very empowered feminine, feminine energy pa- paradigm. And then, you know, from there that go, that goes to go, goes to creating and building a lifestyle, um, of your true desire and like, it, like a multidimensional type of success. That's, um, that's 
integrating the masculine and feminine and creating very intentional living with abundance and freedom. Mm, sounds fantastic. And how can people find, find out about this program? Yeah, so you can check out my website, thefemininecoach.com. Uh, and I'm also the feminine coach on Instagram. So uh, the enrollment for the accelerator is currently open. Uh, and um, you, know, you can find this alignment form on my website. And once you fill it out, you'll get a chance to um, speak with me one on one. Yeah, so it's, it's a small group program and, you know, we're uh, kind of hand, hand selecting um, candidates to, to join for, for the first group. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very intimate and um, transformative experience. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited for this, uh, for you launching this program and um, also just really excited that you'll be using your unique gifts to help transform other women and help them uh, find their path. So thank you so much again for coming on the show today. And it's just such a pleasure to hear your stories um, and share this with everyone. Thank you so much, Joyce, for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, that's a wrap to this episode of the Permission to Become podcast. I really hope you were able to capture some wisdom from this episode. If you have any feedback or comments, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to email me at hello at permissiontobecome.com.